You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole where we are in a multiverse of madness and I am so excited to be bringing from the podcasting universe different podcasters to be able to talk about our movie tonight. Uh, Christy could not be here so I had to assemble a crack team and I'm so excited back to have uh, with us is Christy's friend Amanda. How are you? I am fantastic. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm always excited to be able to talk. Um, this is actually going to be our last show of the year, which is kind of crazy. Um, and uh, take a couple weeks off and then we'll be back. But we are ending on, I would say, a huge high note because this movie has earned the highest, the second highest grossing weekend of all time, which is incredible. Uh, and so that meant if I was going to have to replace Christy with somebody, I figured I should probably replace her with at least somebody, one, who has cosplayed as Spider-Man and or looks like an older Spider-Man. And so with us is none other than Aaron Goins. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I agree with you on those things, but I'll take it. Well, you have cosplayed. I, yeah, that's true. Though. I have cosplayed. I sat next to you in a restaurant. You were in a Spider-Man. Yeah, we costume were eating pizza in Atlanta. It's hard to eat pizza when you don't have fing- your. You can't get your fingers out of the costume, you know. So you kind of have to use a fork. Super awkward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was weird. Um, and uh, you I, seriously though, I mean, there were times here where I felt like you and Tobey Maguire look pretty similar these days, like a cool youth pastor. Yeah, he's. I will <laughs> say he's aged well. You know, I, he really he has. has. Aged well, and I think that Absolutely. I think that he might have hit the gym a little bit before this movie. He looked he looked I pretty fit. I think he did. He was looking great. Yeah. Uh, honestly, everybody in this movie is looking really good. But um, we're going to be talking, of course, about none other than Spider Man. No Way Home. And before we do that, of course, uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on like Apple or even now Spotify, you can give us a star rating. That is really nice. People can, you know, see, oh, they got a really high star rating. I should probably listen to them. So that would be great. And of course, you can give us a written review on Apple as well. You can also find us on Twitter at the 602 Club. We're on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. You could find us online at Trek.fm, and then we're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek.fm. There's a listeners-only discussion group you can join called the Babel Conference on Facebook if you want to talk to listeners from all over the world. And, of course, if you like the shows here, you can support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Trek.fm, which we would really appreciate because we love doing this, and we want to keep bringing you the shows, and we can't do it without your help. So, again, that's Patreon.com slash Trek.fm. So... Since I have never talked Spider-Man with at least one of you, although Aaron, you and I, we talked about Into the Spider-Verse uh, a couple of years ago um, when that had come out. And so, but I just kind of wanted to know your history with the character and, and kind of 
your thoughts uh, real quickly uh, just about the previous movies and so where you were kind of coming into this movie, especially since, I mean, they had kind of spoiled it. They were going to be using a lot of elements from those. So, Amanda, you know, what was uh, your original spider bite like? My original spider bite was actually the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. So I followed all of those. I transitioned into the Andrew Garfield ones, and I actually liked those ones a little bit better. Um, And I then this past year, I was a little late to the game, but I did get to see into the Spider-Verse with the Miles Morales Spider-Man. I don't have a ton of context as far as the comic book lore goes because I've never really dove into the um, expansive world of comics that Marvel does offer, but I have loved everything we've gotten so far. And then we've been blessed with Tom Holland, who has stolen my heart. Is it okay to say that? Am I too old to say that about him? Is that weird? Did I make it weird? I don't think that he's probably that much younger than you are. Because he's playing a a young version of the character, but Tom Holland's not young anymore. So... (laughs) (laughs) He's adorable, and I have been so excited watching all of the films that he's been in um, in the MCU. So I've I've been pretty steadfast with my at least on screen Spider Man fandom. So nice, and he's twenty five now, so I think it's fine. Yeah, six years. Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. So. Um, what about you, Aaron? Uh, where are you kind of coming from with all of the previous Spider-Man movies? And I don't, I don't know if I've even asked you this, if, if you were like a, a Spider-Man comic person either. Yeah, I don't think we've talked about this. Um, I feel like I always remember Spider-Man being a thing, like as far back as I can remember when I was a kid. Um, I did watch the animated series that came out in 1994. So it's dating me a bit. Um, I was, but I was already a teenager at that point. Um, and then the first movies came out soon after I think that show stopped, uh, with Tobey Maguire. So I, I do remember like when they first cast Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man, I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if he really fits what I've always thought of Spider-Man. Um, and I wasn't thrilled with the casting, but I did enjoy the movies. And I don't know if you guys remember, but at that time, like those movies were just huge, like the biggest superhero movies of the time. Um, and so, like, you know, good on Tobey Maguire for kind of starting the, you know, bringing Spider-Man back, I guess, in a certain way and definitely bringing him to the to the theater level um, where he became just like a household name. Um, I, but I, I liked the first two of those movies. I thought the third one was kind of eh. And then when Andrew Garfield was cast as Spider-Man, that was, to me, I thought a better casting choice. I really liked Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. He was kind of more what I imagined Spider-Man to be like. Uh, really liked his movies and was really sad that they only made two of them. And then, uh, and of course, like, like, like Amanda said, Tom Holland, you can't not like him. So he's been, he's also been a great Spider-Man. I like that all three of them are very different versions of Spider-Man. Um, Mm -hmm. and then probably up until this point, my favorite Spider-Man movie was probably into the Spider-Verse, which was the animated film, which I really, really thought they just knocked that one out of the park. So, so, um, mm-hmm. so Absolutely. they set the bar pretty high with into the spider verse, but we'll talk about, you know, kind of this one and where it ranks for me. Same, kind of the same thing with you. I, now I didn't watch the animated series, uh, but I did of course, you know, watch all the Tobey Maguire movies. I'm not, a, I need to go back and rewatch them. I have rewatched the second one 
uh, in the last few years, and it still really held up. I didn't really love the first one, but that's because I just didn't really like the Power Ranger villain uh, that we got in Green Goblin, the look. Um, and then, like you said, the third movie is kind of a disaster. Uh, and then I, the same with both of you, like I thought Andrew Garfield was fantastic. I really enjoyed his movies for the most part. Christy and I actually covered those here this year, and it was fun to go back and, and look at those again. And the second movie isn't as good as the first movie, but I still would have loved a third. I felt like he deserved it, and uh, it would have been really nice. And then into the Spider-Verse, you know, Aaron, you and I talked about, like, I saw the trailer for that and it looked like to me it was going to be terrible and then it was just brilliant like uh you know sometimes a trailer can undersell a movie and and that was just hands down in all honesty it's probably one of the best comic book movies ever made it just exudes comic bookiness in a way that no other movie does and mainly that's because it's a moving comic book and it, you didn't know it, it and won I the oscar that year didn't it for animated film it yeah i think you're right so um so, yeah, I mean, I was excited then to come into this movie where, in many ways, it kind of felt like they were trying to mimic that in some ways, to, you know, to basically do a live-action version of Into the Spider-Verse. And so, you know, when I was thinking about ways to kind of dive into the story, it really felt like the best way to start was with the main character and Peter's story because I feel like there's so much to talk about because this is a movie in many ways for the MCU, where we finally get the Spider-Man story, which is what it means to be Spider-Man, um, and the lesson about responsibility. And they finally gave us a version of that, but the MCU version of that. And instead of losing Uncle Ben, we lose Aunt May. And I thought that this was really important because, for me, up to this point, this Spider-Man has been a bit superfluous in the sense that he's felt really weak as a character because none of his stories have been really substantial. Uh, whereas, you know, I felt like McGuire and Garfield both felt like very substantial, serious characters because of the arcs they go through, and this movie finally did that. So what did you guys think of them finally kind of doing that in this movie? And did it work for you to, to, to do the lesson, the classic Spider-Man lesson, this way? I think that a huge part of what we had been missing with Tom Holland was that Spider-Man's story is inherently rooted in trauma. Point blank. There's no getting around that. He grows from his early trauma. So I think getting that Spider-Man origin story in this one and also the loss of Tony Stark previously really helped to fill out where he was going to start coming from and i i'm excited to see that growth i hope we get more films showing what he's found from this place that he's been taken to in this film yeah up to this point tom holland's version of spider-man i really like him as an actor and i really like him as spider-man but i didn't love the movies he was in especially the standalone spider-man movies they were they were fun but i actually enjoyed him kind of more in like the what he would show up in and like the avengers movies um, so it was kind of nice to see Spider-Man be a little bit more Spider-Man. Like in the previous movies, you know, he kind of had that, you know, he's with Tony, he's got the iron spider suit. In a lot of ways, it felt like he was wearing like Iron Man type armor. 
um, a lot of the the stuff that he had been doing up to this point was, you know, it's set in Washington, D.C. or set in, you know, space or, you know, different places that he's not in that kind of iconic space in New York City swinging around the city and doing what you would expect Spider-Man to do. So this was kind of the first standalone Spider-Man movie. I felt like he, he actually felt the most like the character. And I was excited to see that. And like you said, they kind of skipped over kind of the origin story of him because it had been told so many times. And, I, and it makes sense why Marvel didn't redo that. But it is nice that they kind of did take a movie, even though it was like the third one, to start to actually give him a little bit more, like Amanda said, that trauma, you know, that he now has to deal with. And he's growing as a character. It's not that, you know, he's still a teenager, uh, still in high school, but he's, he's, he's growing up right in front of our eyes as a character. And it's, it's really cool to see. Yeah, I feel like they've been slowly taking away the pieces that make him kind of like the little golden retriever of the MCU. And now he's going to be more of an adult presence, maybe. And I also, oh, I also am super, super thrilled that they did more with Aunt May in this one. Um, They gave her passion and purpose outside of just being the hot aunt. So (laughs) I was like the entire thing, she was kind of the hot aunt trope. And then in this one, they gave her a purpose. They gave her heart and soul and they really made her a full character. And I was very, very excited to see them do that for her. Yeah. I mean, Aaron, you mentioned something that I do think has been, and honestly, it's been my complaint since the very first Spider-Man movie they've done with Tom Holland is that, you know, he hasn't really been Spider-Man. He's just been Iron Spider. And that's a different type of character. And he's now out of Tony's shadow. You know, um, he actually feels like Spider-Man now. You know, at the end of the movie when, you know, he's made his own costume and he jumps out the window because he's been, you know, monitoring the police bands. Um, And part of that, too, is that, like, giving him this really formative lesson to to make the character of Peter Parker who he is in the comics. And you both have pointed out the idea of trauma making him who he is. And, you know, in many ways, most comic book characters are born out of some kind of trauma. And this one is so pivotal to who he is. And I think what I loved about that, and you pointed this out too, Amanda, this idea of that, May gets to teach him the lesson, not only just about responsibility, but about what it means to do what is right, even when it's hard or it costs you everything, you know, and a lot of that has to do with, too, dealing with the consequences of your choices. And Peter made some kind of bad choices in this movie that led to some horrendous consequences. And one of those is the death of his aunt. As well as having to choose between, do I let the multiverse invade our universe, or do I let everybody forget who I am? And, you know, when you're between a rock and a hard place, I just loved that it was Aunt May's lesson. No, we do what is right whenever, no matter what. And it doesn't matter the cost. Um, and we have to deal with the 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 consequences of our choices. And I thought that was so beautiful that... It's it's her that really brings that home because she's willing to deal with the consequences of her choices, which are also trying to protect Peter. And so 
I I thought it all dovetailed really nicely, and I was really surprised to see just how well that part of the movie really worked. And I I have to say too, like I think the second half of the movie is more successful than the first half because the first half feels like the things I didn't really love about the MCU version of Spider-Man. And the second half of the movie, it finally like starts to take itself seriously and the character seriously. And once we do that, like I think we put Peter on a trajectory to which I'm actually interested to really dive into now. And like you said, I'm, I'm like, I'm on the edge of my seat waiting for the next Spider-Man movie. Whereas before that was totally not the case. I was like, Oh, another Spider-Man movie. This one makes that interesting now to actually do that. So, and and part of that is just because the the character is less silly and more serious now. Yeah, but there was still plenty of silliness, which is good. It's mm-hmm. a good balance mm-hmm. that they they made with this movie. You know, the whole time I was watching this movie, there really wasn't a moment where I kind of like was like, oh, like groan or roll my eyes. I felt like they really had a great balance and they used the established characters for the humor, you know, Happy and Ned and even MJ to an extent, you know, there's a lot of humor with them. Even, even Spider-Man or even, uh, you know, Peter Parker, he can be humorous. Um, and they really, they really did a good job of balancing that humor and also having the drama, which Marvel is probably better at that than any, you know, any movie series out there having like, you can have these super serious moments where it's like life and death, or character deaths that matter. But then you can also have just the funniest moments that just make you laugh out loud. And I thought they did a, a really good job of balancing that. Yeah, I agree. I I was really, really happy with majority of the film. Um, and even the parts that felt like they were dragging a little bit, you knew that they were setting the stage for something more to happen. They did a really good job about building anticipation and not giving too much away about what was going to happen next so that you stayed super invested the whole way through. And you just got to watch them strip Peter Parker down to the very end of the film, even Mm -hmm. when they stripped away everyone. So now what? That's my big question at the end of the film is, okay, so He's lost every everything, everyone. He is literally in a world that doesn't know he exists. Now what? <laughs> you almost feel like they have to have some sort of a, a fix. You know, something that they can <sighs> do that's like, okay, now they get their memories back. Because it would be hard for them to him to reestablish those relationships with like Ned, his best friend, or with MJ. People that mean so much to him to start with them as strangers, it would be kind of an odd transition and it would almost feel like their relationships wouldn't be as meaningful. So in a way, not that everybody needs to remember him, but I wouldn't mind there being some sort of a kind of easy reversal. Like, Oh, like we came up with a spell <laughs> and okay, they got their, their memories back. Cause it was, it was so tragic at the end of the movie when he goes into the donut shop and like, you know, has the conversation and, and Ned doesn't even give him the time of day and like they're talking, you know, MJ and Ned are talking about, you know, getting into MIT and it was like, you know, tear jerking, you know, you're kind of like, you're wiping away tears to see what, what, uh, Peter's going through in that mm-hmm. moment. And he really, yeah. he kind of even backed off on, on telling, you know, or at least talking to MJ about kind of who he was because he just felt like maybe it, now wasn't the time or, 
I don't know. Right. Yeah, it was it was really sad. Well, and that's a question I have for both of you. Like when it comes to Peter's choice, uh how did you I mean, do you feel like he made the right choice? Did did was it a choice that felt like organic and right for this section of his arc or were you hoping for something else i don't it's not what i wanted to happen for him because he's little baby peter and you want him to be happy at the end of the movie (laughs) but i don't disagree with the choice i think it was right for his character i think he was taking two pieces of advice um what aunt may instilled in him doing the right thing because now his two best friends, the people he loves more than anything on this planet have something good and something good is going to be happening for them. And they're not struggling. They are not being not accepted to college because they're his friend. They aren't going to be in constant danger because of their affiliation with him and the inherent risk that comes with being close to him. And also what had been said to him about, I think it was the Green Goblin, telling him that he has to stop trying to live two lives and have it all because he can't. Or but wait, was that Goblin's? Was Goblin being cryptic with that one? I can't remember. Sorry. I think he did say um, something I like think, that. Yeah. Cause I think it's him Doctor and Strange as well as Dr. Stranger. And Goblin talk- said yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I just rewatched the first uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie, and I feel like there may even have been a conversation between him and Green Goblin in that movie that was similar, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. And it also echoes what happened with Andrew Garfield's relationship with Gwen Stacy's father. Sure. Yep. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I feel like... You know, for this movie at least, it was the right choice, and I think it it's a it's emotionally the most affecting to have it end where he's making a very difficult decision on whether or not now is the right time to try and introduce himself to them and start that relationship again. And yes, I think you know we see Gwen does really say that she wants Peter to come in and you know be a part of her life again. But I can understand, like you were saying, Amanda, the struggle that Peter is seeing is they're safe. Like, and they're safe because they don't know me. And should I allow them to have their life without me for a while and see what happens later? And and Aaron, I do think that with the Multiverse of Madness coming out, there may be some sort of like change for peter in that uh and you know they they could easily do something in that that creates the ability for people to remember who peter parker is again if they want um otherwise i it does create a really interesting conundrum you know like what do they do next so and how do they do it so i mean and i don't really have an answer for that and that's but i think it's interesting because you do want to know right like they leave you in a place where you actually want to see the next movie because you want to know what happens to this character and the other characters it's great for storytelling potential as well because in a way they're like they're wiping the slate clean you know this character doesn't have friends he doesn't have he's not part of the avengers 
anymore. He doesn't have Tony Stark to be there to kind of back him up. So we're really seeing kind of almost a reset of the character of Spider-Man in, in the MCU where he now, they can do new movies and have him start fresh. Not that they would do this, but they could even introduce like Gwen Stacy into the into the mix now. Maybe it's somebody yeah. new he meets that, you know, now he builds a relationship with her because that was an important character, you know, obviously in, in the previous movies and in the comics. So it just really opens the book for what they could do with with this character now and it's kind of a smart move i think from a, tor- a storytelling perspective uh there's so many possibilities oh 100 percent. now with the multiverse being opened we might not even get gwen stacy as we knew her in the toby Maguire as like a normal gwen we could get a spider gwen mm, yeah a live yeah. action spider that gwen would be cool. that would be cool i would die yeah Although I guess Haley Steinfeld can't play her and Kate Bishop at the same time, so that's I don't too know. Bad. It's a multiverse. So. Could, this is true. Have, this is true. They could um, have Chris Evans come yeah. back as uh, who did he play in Fantastic Four? Oh, Johnny Storm. Storm yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that would actually be kind of funny if he, him, and Captain America met himself. I, one of the things that was great about Peter's story and 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 we were kind of talked about this idea of how things dovetail but i really liked how the idea of choices and consequences dovetails into the villains and their choices and where you know their lives led because we see all of these villains who come back green goblin doc ock electro sandman lizard and they all made choices in those previous films that led them to a place where they had a showdown with Spider-Man that led to their demise. And I thought that that was really fascinating because, you know, having them all back, it gives them the opportunity to do something different with them, but it also builds on the thematic elements of, like, the choices we make and where they lead us in life. And so I was wondering for you guys with the choices of bringing back all of these villains. What did you think about all of them being back? And did they all work for you being back? Or did you feel like there were any of them that you were like, well, I mean, like, I don't know, you probably could have left them out and that would have been fine. I think that they were all necessary for certain parts of the redemption story that they were trying to tell. I mean, some of them aren't my favorite, but they did have a place in this film and they did make sense to the plot. Like, I, I don't love Electro. They improved him, I felt. Because, right? Like, he was I, more yes, entertaining. In this, this film, one. it was yeah. better. Yeah. Because in the last one, I mean, he's just so much by himself that I felt like it didn't give the plot a lot of room to breathe. Whereas in this one, there were more Spider Men, Spider Man, Spider Men, Spider Men. Um, so it made a little more sense for him to be this big, bad, all powerful, you know, energy sucking entity when there were more people to keep him in check as well as balancing everything else that was going on. And it was also cool to see how they kind of found their groove. Yeah, that's a good point because I felt like this movie worked well with all the different villains because some of these villains don't stand well on their own. In their own movies, mm-hmm. they weren't that interesting. But when you put them in like a group like this, where it's like, okay, the focus seemed to be more on, you know, Doc Ock and Green Goblin in this movie. But you had these other ones that were kind of more side characters. I mean, Sandman literally got like put, you know, just set aside at one point. You know, they're like, here, stay inside this thing. 
you know, so, but it was kind of, it was, I think they, they had to have some balance between the three different Spider-Men. You wanted to have some representation of the different villains, you know, that they've all faced instead of having it focused only on villains, you know, from the first Spider-Man. So I thought it worked well and I, I'd love to know what the budget, the casting budget on this movie was. The fact that they were actually <laughs> able to get all of them to come back and play those parts and I thought they all did a really good job in in some ways yeah. better than their original performances. I thought Doc Ock was incredible. I was so excited to see him back. And did anyone have that moment of hesitation at the end of the film? I'm curious where he had the arc reactor in his hand and you're like, is he about to make a bad decision? Cause he's like the power of the sun in your hand. Is this an, uh Oh, are we having more? Uh Oh, yeah. I thought, I definitely thought at the end that he might've kind of turned back. I'm like, Oh no. And then it was cool though, that he, he ultimately became a good guy, you know, which mm-hmm. is, you know, he was in the, in his movie, he was overtaken by, you know, something that wasn't really his fault. You know, something went wrong. The, the thing that was supposed to stop the, the arms from taking over his his brain and taking control of him broke. And so he essentially was kind of, um, in a way, being brainwashed and not able to kind of control the power of those arms. So the fact that Peter was able to reverse that, we got to see Doc Ock as he really should be, you know, as a person. And he actually yeah. ultimately used his powers for good in the end, which was, was a really good redemption for him. Yeah. No, I agree with both of you, mainly because I think it's really interesting to give these characters a second chance uh, to do things differently. And some of them choose differently, like Doc Ock. And, you know, some of them choose the same way. And I think that's really fascinating. Um, I did think it was interesting, too, because with each of these characters, in many ways, the only way that other Peters could have given them this chance was actually the technology that's available in this universe. So like, uh, you know, Green Goblin, you know, that Peter could have solved his problem. Um, Obviously, Lizard problem solved there. But the other characters, really the main way that they're able to be helped is all the technology that is available in this MCU version of the universe. And so... I thought that was really fascinating. Um, but I I mean, again, like I didn't love the Green Goblin in his original movie, but I thought like he was even better here. One, because they got rid of, rid of the stupid mask and his <laughs> costume looked better with him feeling more like the Green Goblin almost with like the kind of like cloth hood over his face and like all that kind of stuff. It looked really good. Um I, you guys said everything I could say about Doc Ock. I think he was fantastic. Um, and even Sandman gets more time. And, like, like he's an interesting, good character. Because, again, he wasn't really a bad guy. He's just a guy who ends up falling into a super collider and gets turned into, uh, you know, an amorphous blob of sand. And, <laughs> you know, so um, he wasn't really a bad guy. He was just dealing with the ramifications of something terrible that happened to him. And, you know, I think the only character here that I felt like was really underutilized and you might not necessarily have had to have had in the movie was Lizard. Um, You know, he just doesn't have very much to do. And, you know, they don't really focus on him at any point, really. And in many ways, the you know, 
as Garfield Spider-Man says, I already cured him once. I can do it again. You know, so it's 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 not as though as there was anything revolutionary there. But the biggest thing I thought was really interesting was the question of the lesson that Peter learns, which was, are these gifts or are these curses? And the ability to recognize the difference is really important in life. And some of these characters do have gifts that they could utilize for the betterment of humanity, and they don't choose that. And some of them literally just have a curse, like Green Goblin. He can't recognize that his alter ego is a curse, not something that's beneficial or helpful in any way. And that was some that was a really interesting question that I'm glad that they asked because Electro could could use his powers for good, but he chooses not to. So it's not a curse. It could be a gift, but he the way he uses it is a curse to everybody else, you know, and Doc Ock kind of the same way with what happened to him. So I thought that was, I really liked that we kind of had that discussion a little bit in this film. Yeah, I feel like a lot of these villains, their choices are what place them on one side or the other, not necessarily what their gifts are or what their curses are. It's how they choose to go forth with them. And unfortunately, a lot of these gifts and or curses happen because of quests for more, whether it's more power, more money, more technology. And they may start out as these pure ideals in the beginning, but as they dig further and further and further down the hole, trying to find more, something changes and they can't go back. Yeah. I, I think that there's different, different levels of these villains kind of where they're at in this, you know, you have green goblin who was just straight up evil. And if you think back on his original movie, you know, he kind of put that on himself. It wasn't an accident that happened to him. I mean, I guess in a way it kind of was, but he was really trying to do something that wasn't good. You know, he's trying to get this military contract and he's trying to experiment so he can, you know, make, to prove that it works so he can, you know, get this military contract and it ends up, um, you know, injecting himself with this thing, you know, with that, with that serum that turns him, you know, into what he becomes. Um, but then someone like Sandman, like you said, who it was kind of more of an accidental thing. He was at a point as a villain where he didn't. It wasn't really, I didn't see him as good or bad in this movie. He was just kind of indifferent. He just didn't care. He just wanted to, you know, get out of there. Um, Electro was maybe the most interesting because he's the one where you could see he could have made either decision. And once he got kind of a sense of that extra power that he had access to in this, in this new universe, ultimately his true nature came out. You know, he could have, he could have been cured. He, they showed that little green dial that was going around on his chest that was going to kind of take it away. And it was like in that very last step where he could have been done with it. And he ultimately said, no, I don't want to give up this power. There's too much, too much to be gained here. So it was, I thought they did mm -hmm. such a good job with the different dynamics of all the different villains. Yeah. Yep. And I, I like that you said that uh, Aaron, because I, I love how, again, that dovetails with the whole idea of whether or not we, you know, the, the lesson of responsibility with great power comes great responsibility. And what do we see these characters, these villains do? They decide to deal with their power in a way that they don't want to take any responsibility for their power. They just want to utilize that power for their own benefit. There's no, 
um, thought process as to other people. And there's there's no thought process as to the idea of like doing what is right, even when it costs you everything, because these people would not do what is right when it would cost them everything because they're not willing to give up their power in any way, shape or form, especially if it's going to cost them. Um, and so I, you know, I think that that the movie does a great job of really working all of these things together in a way that helps drive its point home by showing, not telling and allowing these characters to, you know, be who they need to be organically with the story. And I really appreciate that. And it's one of the things I think um, that makes this movie really work now something that's huge in this movie um is the fact that as rumored there are quite a few special guests uh and two very important special guests of Tommy mcguire and andrew uh, garfield being back as spider-man um to help peter kind of because he has nobody else there's no aunt may now and they are the ones who are going to help this version of Peter through his pain, through his rage. Um, and at the same time, as we talked about earlier, everybody's being given a second chance in this movie and they are even given a second chance. And so what did you guys, th- I mean, was this worth it? Were you glad they brought them back? How did this all end up working for you guys? This was so worth it. I I am so glad that the rumor mill was not wrong and we got all of the Spider-Men back. And I think for me, the most important and like heartfelt moment was when our um, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man caught MJ. Mm. Because seeing her falling in the trailers, I was like, are, are they doing this to me again? <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't think I can watch. But seeing him get that moment and making the save and having it all come full circle and knowing that he still can save people that he cares about, that was that was so special to me. Yeah. You're not alone. That was <laughs> he's my favorite Spider-Man. Uh and so that moment just really hit home for me. And you could see he's such a good actor. Like he, he is, he's been in other movies, you know, Oscar nominees and all this stuff. Like he's, he's proven himself as an actor for him to come back into a superhero movie. is pretty awesome. But he just like that whole scene was perfect. And I know it's a little cheesy, you know, they're calling back to stuff and they're really trying to kind of do the, a bit of fan service, but I didn't mind it. And, you know, just his acting in that scene, you could tell he, it meant so much to him as a character when he catches her and actually saves her. And, you know, you can just see in his face that he's like holding back tears and MJ's kind of like, she's probably been, you know, she, she's been saved by Spider-Man or caught by Spider-Man enough that she probably doesn't think much of it. She's like, are you okay? You know, like it was such a, yeah, I'm with you, Amanda, that one. I get, I get teary eyed in movies in certain moments and that one got (laughs) me for sure. But there were some tears, but from a, yeah. Like the rumor mill perspective, like I didn't, I purposely didn't follow a lot of the, the spoilers for this movie, but I think the, the idea of those two actors coming back was like, you just couldn't avoid it. Like I kept yeah. hearing it. 
Like, oh, there's rumors, yep. but I still didn't buy into it. I'm like, I'm not going to get excited for it because for all I know, these people could just be completely misinformed. And I don't want to go into this movie expecting this awesome moment and then it never happening and just being like really disappointed. So I went in, yeah. I literally went into the movie thinking that they weren't going to be in it. And if at the <laughs> most, maybe they would have like a cameo, you know, where they would just show up for like a minute. So when they actually did show up and then the extent that they actually used them, you know, I was just blown away. And honestly, for me, it made the movie. I don't know that I would have thought so highly of this movie without them bringing, bringing them back. Mm-hmm. I, I think I enjoyed their, you know, kind of what they did more than Tom Holland in this movie. Um, I know it's Tom Ooh. Holland's movie, but it's kind of hard not to overshadow him with kind of the these more mm-hmm. iconic, especially someone sure. like Tobey Maguire who kind of, you know, was the original Spider-Man in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, I just, I absolutely love that they brought mm-hmm. him back. I think it, it really worked and they used all three of them uniquely and they all had their unique personalities mm-hmm. and it worked so well. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I'm with you, Aaron. I didn't follow all of the spoilers, but like you said, because I don't do that with any movie, but, you know, it was hard not to hear the rumors that they were going to be in the film. And so I was thinking that they would be, because why wouldn't you, honestly? But you never know, right? And so, but like you both, I think they were used to perfection in the film, um, I thought it was just so much fun to have them back. Um, and it was fun to kind of see all of their different personalities play together, uh, you know, and uh, because Andrew Garfield is kind of the slightly more outgoing version of Spider-Man and, you know, the one who's more willing to make the joke uh, and kind of trash talk and that kind of stuff. Toby Maguire, I think he did a great job in the sense that he really plays the Spider-Man like his age, which he's older, he's more mature, he is, you know, he's the grandpa of the group in many ways, or I would say he's more the father, you know, I mean, Tommy, uh, uh, Tommy McGuire's definitely the dad here, or the youth pastor, um, and uh, Andrew Garfield is is definitely the cool uncle, basically, and and so I I thought that they really utilized him well, but like you both said, I think the thing that meant the most is is that emotional scene on top of the roof when they're talking to him and Aaron I was thinking to myself do they overshadow the movie because I'm more connected with them as characters because they have so far had had better stories as Spider-Man in the sense of like the emotional weight does that overshadow here? And and in some ways it does. But by the end of the movie, then when Tom Holland makes his choice, you know, as his Spider-Man to not tell MJ and Ned who he is, that hit you with the gut punch there. So it's like they utilize these Spider-Men to help drive home the lesson that we need this Spider-Man to learn. And by the end, you're having the emotional reaction to his choices that you're having to them remembering their choices. And I was like, that's really well done. And it's it's definitely handled so that you really appreciate them being back. 
but it doesn't take away from the journey that you went on with Tom Holland's Peter. It actually adds to that. But it also, it adds to their stories because it literally helps their movies. You can go back and watch their movies and realize that their story doesn't end there, that it actually culminates in this opportunity for them to have a second chance to do things better, to be even better Spider-Man than they were. And like, that's cool. And then your your mind is like, well, what are their universes look like now that those things have changed? Like, it's it's a really well done thing. And I... I loved having both of them back. And yes, I've mentioned the youth pastor joke, but I laughed so hard with that because I've been a youth pastor and I've known <laughs> a bunch of them and like, yeah, man, dressing like a cool youth pastor is a thing. So, um, Aaron does it all the time. Um, and so, uh, I just like having them back was great. And, and Aaron, you and I, I wanted to have this conversation cause you and I were kind of having it offline, but I thought it was interesting to bring it in here. Like, to me, this is the way that you honor the past of something and also build on it for a future. And we've seen, and I'll bring it up, it could be a sore spot for people, but I don't think the sequels of Star Wars do this half as well as this movie does here by honoring the past, using the characters in the present, and illuminating the future for the new characters like this movie is everything that the sequel trilogy I think should have been and wasn't for me. So I, I'm interested for your thoughts on that because I think, you know, utilizing this nostalgia is something that's a big deal these days. And I feel like this is the movie that shows how it's done right. I'd have to agree to some extent there because they didn't throw away moments. Sometimes physically throw away moments, but we won't talk about that one because that one still hurts me a little bit on the inside. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, they take these pregnant moments that have so much meaning and they let them overwhelm you. They let them come to fruition. And that was so exciting and meaningful. And I felt like it really added a lot to the film and to all of the characters. And it gave... Like you said, all of their previous films in their respective universes, a lot more meaning, as well as giving um, Tom Holland, Spider-Man, this place to go forward with and the knowledge of both of them that they could impart on him. And it wasn't that they didn't take anything away. They just added. And that was really nice. They accentuated. Yeah, it come before. Yeah, absolutely. So, Matt, I won't turn your podcast into a defense of the sequel trilogy, but um, hey, man, if you need to defend a sequel trilogy here, that's, that's oh no, no, fun. it's a Spider-Man so, podcast. But I asked the question, so I opened the door. I think it's different. <laughs> I I do think that Marvel did it perfectly, and I I also would say the same for Into the Spider Verse, how they handled you know yeah bringing Spider-Man yep. in and mm -hmm. also having Miles, so you you hand it off to the new generation, but you also respect the old generation. And I think Marvel did it really well. I think it's hard to compare a Marvel comic universe to Star Wars, which is not, you know, it's a fantasy epic. The storytelling's a little bit different. Um, they're not doing so much like what do the fans want to see? It's kind of like what's the story that needs to be told? And that's where I 
I, I think it's hard to compare, but I do agree with you that from a fan perspective and like an excitement perspective, this movie hit all the right notes when it came to the nostalgia. You know, just bringing those characters back alone is a huge nostalgic mm-hmm. moment. But then the way they utilize those characters and gave them each, you know, funny moments. They gave them, they gave each of them heroic moments, you know, redemptive moments. It was all these things where people like Luke and Han didn't get those moments really, right? Sure. Because that's, that's what served that story. But for you know the Marvel universe, you can you can do some of that stuff and get away with it. And I I thought, you know, it worked really well um, with with both of those characters and the moments that they gave them. Mm -hmm. You know, what's fascinating to me is kind of the question just being asked as I did, because I had that question, you know, as I was mentioning with them being back, like, are they overshadowing the movie? And that's the exact thing that, you know, JJ said with Luke was, no, we can't have Luke because he's going to over the shadow of the movie. And it feels like Sony was like, F that. We don't care if they overshadow the <laughs> movie. We know what the fans want and we're going to give <laughs> it to them. Um, and we're not going to care whether they overshadow. In fact, but the point is, is that they don't in the end because they they engineer the story in a way to which they help tell the story for Tom Holland's Spider-Man. So that by the end, when it is just him, you're feeling for him. Because of everything that they used with those previous characters. And that is good writing. And they use their and, experience. Like, if yes. they weren't there, Tom, or Tom, I'm going to call him Tom, Spider-Man 1. Yeah, do. You're friends. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's fine. He wouldn't have made the right decision in the end, right? Like, he was going to Absolutely. kill Green Goblin. No. He, yep. had, he was definitely going to kill him. And if it wasn't for... The, you know, Tobey Maguire, I think, was the one that stopped him, right? Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2. 2, yeah. He, you know, he's <laughs> he stopped him from doing it, you know, and they kind of talked him off the ledge. And and then you have Andrew Garfield, who apparently his Spider-Man has gone pretty dark from what he was saying. And he was saying, I don't want to see you go down that same path. And so he, he could learn from their experiences and it propels his story forward. So it was, it was really strong um, in how they did that stuff for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I felt like they did it in a way where they built up each of those characters. Yes. Mm. They built up our Tom Holland Spider-Man. They built up our Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. They built up our Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. They gave each of them something back. And that was really incredible to see happen on screen. As far as the overshadowing, though, I will disagree a little bit. I do think they did. It. I do think they <laughs> overshadowed him in a way. And it's probably for kind of more long-term fans. Sure. Like newer fans that like Tom Holland is their Spider-Man. They're probably like, oh, who are these old guys showing up? Like, okay, it's kind of cool. But for people like us that kind of grew up with that and we really lived through those older Spider-Man movies, I was kind of more excited about what Andrew Garfield was doing in that movie than I was Tom Holland. And by the end, I was like, all I could think about when I was leaving the theater was, oh, maybe they'll give Andrew Garfield another Spider-Man movie. I mean, they've just literally opened up the multiverse. Why not? Why not have an amazing Spider-Man movie that can still live within the MCU because now the multiverse is a thing. So, um, and who knows? I mean, if this movie does well enough, you might see Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, you know, both getting their own Spider-Man movies, or maybe they come back and, you know, revisit the idea of the multiverse and and they come back and help Tom Holland in a future movie. 
But, um, you know, if there's money to be made, right. they will use these ideas. Well, and I, I do, I, I think, like you said, do they overshadow? And I think in some ways, like you said, rightly, you know, for people that are older, they, they might have that effect. But for myself, you know, I loved what they did in their movies. I came out appreciating their movies even more, even maybe Spider-Man 3, you know, because one... Tobey Maguire makes a great joke about the idea of having the existential crisis where, you know, he gets blocked with his webs uh, and being able to use them, which was like, oh, well, if we're going to reference Spider-Man 3, that's probably the best way to do it. Um, And but at the same time, like. This this movie, by taking the journey that it did finally with Tom Holland, Spider-Man, I felt like it earned my investment in the character. And that wasn't possible necessarily without those two helping be there, too. And so even though for me as well, there might be some overshadowing happening, at the same time, I still cared about his character in the end because of the the story they told. And, you know, if you're going to hit the nostalgia button, I think they hit it perfectly. And that's the thing where it's like, I'm just going to say it. They were fearful in this, the sequel trilogy and they let fear tell the story instead of just telling the story that they should have told in the first place and just let the chips fall where they may. And Marvel took a huge risk with this movie and ain't it paying off gangbusters, you know, like, <laughs> so I'm just saying, um, I do have to ask you one more special guest. We can't forget it, but yes, Matt Murdock was finally in the MCU and didn't you just love seeing Daredevil as his his uh, lawyer? Yes. I. It took me a minute to catch on to who he was because I was thinking, Eric's like, it's Daredevil. It's Daredevil. I'm like, what? No red suit. Oh, yeah, he was a lawyer, wasn't he? So it was really nice to get that little callback. Um, and I'm wondering because it seems like they're setting up in a lot of the more recent films some new characters. So I'm... I'm anticipating that we're going to get a Daredevil film at some point in the future. Or at least him being part of a future movie, maybe not his own standalone. But it is interesting how they used him because the other characters coming from a different universe, you can bring in anybody, you know, and have it be Mm -hmm. part of the multiverse. But they actually had him as part of that universe. And they had previously said that the Netflix shows weren't kind of part of the MC universe anymore. So we wouldn't expect to see these characters show up, but the fact that they brought him in, I think it speaks to how popular that character was. I don't know that we should expect to see, you know, some of the other Marvel, you know, I don't know if Jessica Jones is going to show up anytime soon or anything like that. Right. But um, I think he was, you know, very popular and they, you know, they've recognized that. So if you're going to bring any of them in, he's a good one to bring in. I do hope we see him suit up Mm -hmm. in a future movie. And I didn't really watch the daredevil series I watched, I think maybe part of the first season I I liked what I saw, but I think once the, once they kind of started to go away from those shows and the Disney stuff became more of the standard, I kind of just didn't take my time to go catch up on those shows. Cause I was like, well, I guess they don't count anymore. So, (laughs) well, and I think the answer is now they do. I think that one does. Daredevil is there, but I mean, if daredevil is there, he interacted with all of those other characters. Like he's a part of their story. So it's like, to me, they have to be. Well, as I think well. that's like the Thrawn logic. And Kingpin is in in is in that's uh, cool too. Uh, 
Hawkeye. So I'm just saying. Yeah, but it's kind of the Thrawn logic where just Matt. because Thrawn shows up. Oh, did I spoil something? <laughs> I didn't see it yet. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, dang it. Oh, well. Um, forget what I just said. Pay no attention to the hand behind the curtain la, la, in the big la, white la, suit. La, 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 la. <laughs> but yeah, like I was saying, I, I think just because he showed up doesn't mean everything we've seen him do previously sure. happened. It it could be that, but I mean, and I don't know. I hope they're saying that. It's funny because I had actually just gone back and, and I had never watched season three of Daredevil. I'd seen everything else. And, and it's one of those where I hate the way Netflix does things where they just drop a season and then like nobody remembers it's there. So I forgot that it was there. And uh, I finally went back and rewatched it. And then I was glad I did because, you know, I just seen Daredevil uh, season three. And so, like, to me, I, I'm i right there with you, Aaron. I hope he's back. And to me, honestly, if you're smart, you put Daredevil in the next Spider-Man movie and they team up. I think that would be fantastic. And finally give Daredevil, like, his really cool baton things that help him swing around so he can swing around with Spider-Man. Like, that'd be legit. So, um. Something really quick I noticed is that this movie seemed to be a civil war between Strange and Peter in the sense that it's a civil war of ideas again where, you know, Strange, Dr. Strange is talking about this idea of that it's someone's fate. Like, we can't change their fate in the long scheme of things. It's better if we don't even try. We just got to let them go back to their universe. And Peter's is like, no, we should give them a second chance. If we can make that happen, we should do it. And I thought that that was really interesting because to me, that's a, it is kind of a fascinating question about, are we playing, are we playing the um, statistics game or are we just going to do what's right regardless? And, you know, Peter comes down on the side of doing what's right for these characters. And I think, it, you know, he proves to be right in the end. And and that was really interesting to me um, that these two kind of have this civil war fight of ideas and Peter wins. But does he win? I guess that'll be the because question. Because these choices come at such heavy losses and potentially are catapulting the storyline forward into the um, multiverse of madness. Although I also think what question, went yeah. on in the Loki show is well, that's true. You yeah. know, behind the scenes, fracturing the seams there too. Right. So there's a lot of different big question, big moment things happening in different aspects yep. of yeah. this MCU at this moment that are going to lead into this next movie, but all of his choices came at really heavy casualties for himself. And he kind of caused the initial issue anyways. Well, it's so true. He, yeah. He was kind of paying yeah. the price for some of his early on mistakes. Yep. And I, it's funny. Cause as I get older, I find myself siding with the adults more than the teenagers. <laughs> typically like when there's a you know, confrontation between strange and Peter, I was kind of like, come on, Peter, quit being, you know, you're messing things up. Like listen, if you just listen to the adult, you know, but in the end, I think Peter's compassion is what came through and the decision that right. um, Strange would have made once they were put in that position to make that decision um, mm -hmm. would have been heartless. You know, he's like, well, it's their fate. They just need to, you know, face their fate. 
And you can kind of see the logic right. behind that because it's the safest route. You know, just send them back. Let's not mess mm-hmm. anything up. But this isn't our timeline. This isn't our problem. Right. But Peter was more right. compassionate. And I think with, you know, Aunt May's influence as well helped. But yeah. I yep. do try to remind myself that everything wouldn't have gone so wrong if it wasn't for Peter mm-hmm. kind of initially messing yep. things up. Um, if he had just talked to the school administrator, <laughs> yeah. it would have been fine. Yeah. It, it even yeah. strange his reaction well, to that. It was like, wait, you didn't yep. even talk, like you didn't even try to. Yeah, it was funny. Rectify yeah. this. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, it. W- what was interesting is it's very snarky, obviously, but, you know, MJ has a point for strange when she says, this is kind of your fault. You know, it's your spell that got messed up. And part of that was that he doesn't, ask any questions of Peter before he starts making this decision. He's not like, well, Peter, have you thought about talking to the administrator? Have you talked to him? Like, he doesn't do any of the verification either. Mm -hmm. And so it's like they're both kind of at fault here for not asking questions. And, and, you know, and so to me, that is kind of interesting. And, you know, I I do think, though, it is kind of par for the course for what we know of, of, uh, strange like he's not he's very tony stark like and that he's all about himself and has very little time for other people in the end like he's he has much of the same personality as tony did especially when he first came into the mcu and he still kind of has that and, and i'm hoping it'll be really interesting as we move forward with him to see if they kind of bring that character on any journeys to kind of help him grow and change because right now he's a little bit of a narcissist who kind of is just wrapped up in himself um, in much the same way Tony was before, you know, many of his bad choices led him to have to make other choices or else he was in a, a world of hurt. Didn't so, he tell Peter yeah. that he loved him at the end of the movie? He said, uh, you know, he, well, he said he didn't say those direct words, but he basically said, everyone that yeah. you love, we will forget mm-hmm. you. And like he included himself in that. <laughs> right. And yeah. but well, without it was, actually yeah, saying so he found it a roundabout because, yeah. way of saying that he yep. loved him. And I think that did show <laughs> that he does care yep. about Peter, even though he he maybe closes himself mm-hmm. off in a lot of ways. I think Tony Stark showed his, you know, affection for Peter much more openly. But I think I think right. Strange yes. also. Um, probably like all the Avengers. How do you not like Spider-Man? But I think he really did care for him yeah. in the end and was hoping that he's making the right decision because he's like, do you realize mm-hmm. none of us are going to remember you? I mean, you had that thrown right in your face when Happy is at the grave site with him and Happy doesn't even remember him. And it's just like so heart-wrenching right. to see like, wow, they had such a close relationship and Happy, although being you know nice to this kid that he meets at the gravestone, they don't, you know, that previous relationship is now gone. Yeah. Yeah. But can we talk for a minute about how frivolous Strange's um, decision making was in this film? (laughs) Because, like you said, he literally didn't ask any questions. Nothing. And I, with what we got at the end, end, end credits, I'm wondering if the frivolity of his decision-making leads to some of what we see the potential of him becoming could be. 
And I, I'm not sure. I thought at one point during this film that this was going to be like a multiverse version of Doctor Strange because the decisions that he had made in this film were so not characteristic of him. Like he was mm-hmm. going to let the entire universe unravel just to let people remember Peter. He was giving a high school kid who couldn't get into college free spells. It did seem frivolous, frivolous but it also felt convenient for the storytelling like sometimes there's moments where i'm like that is way out of character for a character to do but the writers Mm -hmm. needed him to do it and is you almost blame (laughs) the writers more than the character at that point that's kind of where i was with it because yeah some of the stuff he was doing when he's casting that spell and then peter's like well wait what about this and he's trying to fix it and it's like almost this comedic moment it's like the writers were like we need something that's gonna break this you know and so the only person mm-hmm. to put that on is strange at that point, um, even if it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to really fit with his character. And shame on Wong for letting but him. He was like, leave yeah. me out of this. I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I think, you know, when it comes to strange, like I do think it's kind of par for the course for his character to do this kind of thing. And part of that, I think we got an indication of like, he's more wrapped up and kind of, hurt about hurt about quote unquote about the fact that he's not sorcerer supreme anymore because of a technicality like he's he's he seems to be in a place emotionally that's not great really um and i think that that plays out in the choices that he makes with peter and i think um that is going to be part of where he goes next like you said like what happens in his movie, it's going to play into the fact that he hasn't made some great choices and those choices can play one of two ways, right? He can become the villain or he can become the hero. And you know what mm-hmm. they say about living long enough to become, you know, the villain. So, uh, you guys watched what I, if? It, I have no, not. I have uh, not. See, so. Amanda, you need to watch it because there's a, a key episode with strange where it's there's some echoes to stuff that you see i won't give away too much but there's some echoes to what you see in this movie and also in that trailer um is he green tinged uh, that you be. can i'm not going to give away anything i you <laughs> just need to watch it but yeah you should watch uh you should watch what if it was actually a pretty pretty good okay. anim- animated series well we'll definitely be watching it for assembling avengers uh so uh john will be going through that because we're going through everything mcu related um and in that show so we'll be doing that there that'll be a lot of fun um i did want to ask you guys about you know peter's good friends because like we learned some fun things ned is magic and mj (laughs) is herself because in all honesty i thought it was really interesting that uh, before we get to ned I don't really feel like MJ has a ton to do in this movie. Am I wrong? I think she's the catalyst. I think the hurt that she feels and the disappointment and how she downplays all of that and how much Peter knows that means to her when they do get rejected from college because of their affiliation with him is what catapults him to make his next decision. So she was kind of the the match She's a, she's definitely a and I think that was an important character that. in this movie. You know who what she who she is is important to to Peter, 
But as far as like having a purpose to do things during the movie, yeah, you're right. There wasn't a lot for her to do. It was like her and Ned were almost a singular character. They were always together. They were kind of mm-hmm. doing the same things and they were just there as Peter's friends. But yeah, in the end, Ned Ned got the cool magical powers yeah. and MJ didn't. But I really like I, I've grown to like her as a character. I didn't like her kind of her initial mm-hmm. introduction as MJ. But I, I got to, you know, she grew on me a little bit more in the second movie. And in this in this movie, I really do enjoy her dynamic with with Peter. So I'm on board with Zendaya as as MJ for sure. But um, yeah, she didn't seem to have a lot to do in this one. Yeah, I would have liked to see more of her, but I understand that with how saturated the story yeah. was with every other character that they pulled in from every other universe, that every, I mean, you just have so much time in a film yeah. before you run out and they made time for what was most purposeful to the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it made sense for her to not be a central focus in this one, at least. Um, she was much more in the last one. Yeah. I also think it was interesting, too, and one of the things I enjoyed about her character um, here in this movie, like you said, Aaron, she hasn't necessarily been my favorite character in these films so far, Um, but I felt like in many ways this third go-around, they kind of softened her character a little bit, and and she didn't feel like she had to be so antagonistic because she's more comfortable with Ned and Peter now, you know, like— she doesn't feel like she has to be on and defensive all the time with them, which is great. And I think it made for a better version of the character. Um, and, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, Ned gets, I guess, the biggest reveal on the fact that apparently he's magic. I, you know, apparently he's could be a sorcerer, too, uh, like Doctor Strange, which is kind of interesting choice for them to do with that character. And it makes me wonder, well, they're where they'll go with him. I mean, are they going to follow that up now and, and have him training with Dr. Strange? But how? Cause would Dr. Strange remember Ned because he's now forgotten Peter Parker? That's, that's a good, that's a good mm-hmm. question. Yeah. You can't pull on that thread too hard. Cause I think there's a lot that you could start to unravel. Like, well, <laughs> if Peter doesn't exist, then, you know, there's a lot of other things mm-hmm. that would have to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they remember Spider-Man just not, Right. Anything else yeah. beyond the fact that there is a Spider-Man that they've interacted with and so, that's at surface yeah, I level. Guess Strange would have to remember Spider-Man helping him save the universe, but he wouldn't remember Peter Parker being That's Spider-Man. why I said you can't pull on the thread too hard because I do yeah. think you could yeah. start to unravel the logic around it a bit. But mm. Ned, yeah. I think, like I said earlier, I think Ned having this power was almost they needed it for the story. And so it was kind of like, oh, it would be kind of cool if Ned has this. And they made a joke about it early on where he thought he might have magic and he felt tingling in his fingers and and Strange yeah. like kind of yeah. <laughs> shrugged it off like, okay, whatever. And then he ends up actually having magic. And I thought I, – I liked it. I thought it was funny. I, I think Ned is a funny character. And then they did need yeah. those moments where he could, you know, open up portals. So you needed a second character that could do that. And there was only one Strange. So – it kind of made sense that they kind of wrote it into the story. Um, rewinding a little bit back to MJ, I'll say, I agree with you that her character has softened. I think part of it is her personality as a character. She puts up these walls. And so in the, her, our first introduction to her, you know, is her giving the middle finger, you know, to, to Peter, right. In study hall or something, I think, or maybe right. it's not the first introduction, but it's one of the first moments between them. 
and she does have this kind of hard exterior. She's kind of rude to him. But then by this movie, they're like in a relationship and they're open with each other. And I think because she's taken those walls down, we're really seeing the true MJ and without her having yeah, that kind of I shield agree. up. And um, I'm a sucker for like a nice romantic story between characters that I think it works for. And I thought it, to see these two characters kind of in that part of their relationship where they're openly admitting they're in love with each other mm-hmm. and kind of boyfriend and girlfriend was was kind of sweet to watch. And I thought that they did a really good job um, with their relationship, making it make sense for how old they are. These are high school mm-hmm. kids. So the FaceTime conversation, like, yeah, Happy mm-hmm. was making fun of them, but that's what kids do. And I felt like they really, they didn't age up their romance. Right. It was impulsive. It was sweet. Mm-hmm. It was long, silly conversations that didn't really have a point or an end in sight. And it was 18-year-olds. Right. Yeah. And that made me really, really happy to see. Because they've been doing that a lot more, I feel like, in film and TV is making the teenagers actually act like teenagers instead of college kids or young mm-hmm. adults. So it was really refreshing to see that younger relationship playing. They've out. come a long way since yeah. Tobey Maguire's version of spider-man and his and their version of mj like that relationship was it always yeah. kind of awkward you know it was like he, he was kind of obsessed with her a little creepy about it and i don't know like that one never it didn't feel as genuine to me as you know i thought the andrew garfield and emma stone one was more genuine and i like that one and then mm-hmm. i think yeah. what they're doing with mj in this one um in the new movies with tom holland i think that it does feel genuine. Yeah. It feels like those two characters genuinely yeah. like each other. There wasn't some sort of like Peter falling in love with the girl next door and trying to like win her over. It was just a mutual, like they met each other they and they, you know, spent time together and they like each other. No, I agree with both of you. I, I think I really enjoyed them together. Um, and, and I think like you rightly pointed out, Amanda, there's so much going on in this movie that, I think they knew there were some places where something was going to have to give. And this movie, I think, in many ways, is more about Peter anyway. And so they gave that story more weight, especially with his relationship with, you know, um, the other Spider-Men and helping him through, you know, losing Aunt May. And so um, a question I got to ask you, obviously, it's, it's an action movie. It's it's uh, it's a comic book movie. And so what did you guys end up thinking of the action and I guess even the effects of the film? I loved it. I mean, I'm always a sucker for good graphics. And I love the feeling that you get when they do like the first person web slinging look. Like you're kind of flying too. So everything that they did in this film was great. I thought that they did a beautiful job with um, the graphics for Electro. And Sandman was much improved from the initial. So, yeah, I I really liked everything they did. Although I think Lizard or Lizardo, Lizard? Lizard, yeah. (laughs) Lizard. (laughs) I think that Lizard looked a little off. Like, I think maybe they could have spent more time on him, but you can't win them all. They did a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I agree. I thought they, it gave him a chance to kind of make some of the older characters look better. 
and even this, even Spider-Man, they've come such a long way from the you know original movie. I, like I said, I just watched it the other day after I watched this movie and that original Tobey Maguire movie, the special effects just at that time weren't great. Like at the time we probably thought they were great, but now looking back, you know, right. it's really hokey in certain areas. And so, yeah, it was kind of cool to see his version of Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield's version of Spider-Man really get that, you know, modern special effects treatment along with all these other villains um, who, you know, mm-hmm. I think I thought Doc Ock, they obviously did some de-aging on his face and that did yep. stand out a little to me. Even in the trailer, I remember when he first showed up in the trailer, I'm like, oh, okay, there's some obvious de-aging going on here. But that was the only thing that stood out to me that felt a little, I don't know if they could have refined it a little more, but that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Mm. I... I think the action was really fun. I thought, um, for the most part, it felt really well staged um, and filmed, for the most part. Um, I mean, obviously, the fight with Doctor Strange was really cool in the mirror, uh, you know, zone, or whatever they call it, the mirror universe. I guess it's not the mirror universe, although... Mirrorverse. He does have a goatee, so... um, Star Trek joke. Um, And so I... I but I don't think all the effects were great. Um I do think that there were places where the effects showed that um they could have spent more time on it. Um I specifically think uh any time uh that goblin is flying around doesn't look great. Um there were times when I didn't think uh, the CGI smoke works well, you know, when they're on the the battle on the bridge. There are times when I'm like, that's just not real smoke. It's just, I can tell it's CGI and that's not great. But overall, it didn't detract from the movie. And when we got to the end battle where all the Spider-Men are doing their thing, there were some really gorgeous shots and some really fun things that were happening there. So in the end, it's not something that's detrimental to the film. But I do feel like, Marvel needs to up its game because when it comes to effects, because all of its movies this year, there have been some dodgy effects in them. And it's like you're getting a little bit lazy um, and allowing movies to not look as good as they could um, by kind of maybe farming it out to too many different effects houses that maybe aren't necessarily up to the level of something like just ILM doing most of the work, which usually... For the most part, ILM is is the hall, you know, the bridge watermark, or that or what a digital, you know. So um, again, it's not a, it doesn't kill the movie for me, but it there are points where I'm like, guys, come on, you know, it's Marvel, you do do better. I wonder if they blew it on the casting budget. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Yes, that's where the casting, that's where all the money went. So. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Um, I'm I'm okay with a little yeah, bit less uh, well special effects and more uh, yeah, casting. Exactly. Yeah, and more uh, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. Yes, please. Um, I I wanted to ask you guys real quick because um, you know Michael Giacchino does the music here, and I really noticed some of the the score, which doesn't always happen in a Marvel movie. You know, as I mentioned, John and I are going through stuff with uh, assembling Avengers, and sometimes we talk about the style track, and we're like. Eh. But this one, there are some really beautiful cues that accentuated the intense emotion. So I wanted to know what you guys thought of that. 
I loved it. <laughs> He's one of my absolute favorite film um, composers. And he's scored two of my favorite movies, Rogue One and Up. Um, and I think that he really was perfect for this film. And I I don't think I could have asked more from the score personally. Yeah, I I like the Up reference. Fantastic movie. Uh, yeah, I like him as a composer as well. Reference. But I'm not a big score person with movies. Like, I don't, I just not. That's not typically what stands out to me, although the music was great but it's not something where i'll pick up on like oh wait that's the same cue from this or like a lot Mm -hmm. of people can do that those connections especially in star wars movies Mm -hmm. um that just isn't a big thing for me so i'll leave that discussion to you guys i i liked it too amanda um and i think he's created a pretty decent um, spider-man theme too which plays um but he also worked in the other two spider-man themes from the other two uh spider-man movies uh that was great when they were all fighting together, which was really cool. Uh, and so, uh, and like I mentioned, I thought he created some really beautiful pieces of music that went with those very dramatic moments that were happening. And he's pretty good at that. I mean, when I think of Rogue One where, you know, he he takes the the quiet music for the destruction of the gate, you know, as the Star Destroyers, you know, and it's the like, it's the pivotal moment for the rebellion, right? This is their first victory. Mm-hmm. He scores it beautifully. Here, he scores some things really beautifully. So, uh, I thought he did a great job, uh, and I really liked that. And so, um, I'm. I, we talked about the multiverse of madness trailer with the stinger already a little bit, and where it's going to go with Doctor Strange. So, we really only have, I think, one thing left before we get to some ratings, which is, what did you think of the Venom stinger? And where that leaves us, I guess, of where we could go next. Well, first off, which multiverse is Eddie Brock from? Is he from Andrew Garfield's? Is he from Tobey Maguire's? Or is he someplace totally separate? That's my one lingering question is where does he fit in in all of those ones? And if so, we already have another Eddie Brock dangling around in there. So I'm I'm just wondering how he fits into all of that. Um and then when we get the little bit of venom left over, they're opening another door here. But does that mean we're going to get a different venom actor or are we going to get a Spider-Man venom again? All, yeah. All so. interesting possibilities. <laughs> I, I do think they were kind of implying that this is um, so this, this version of venom is, not part of the MCU universe that we know because those films are mm-hmm. kind of a separate thing. So when he's like, I, I thought it was really funny how he's having the conversation with the bartender and he's kind of like, you know, who is Danny Rojas? Yes. Danny Rojas from, uh, yeah, from, uh, uh what's the show? Ted Lasso. But, uh, mm. yeah, he's having the conversation and he's kind of like, wait, there's a big purple guy and all this stuff. Like he's not aware of like all these <laughs> things that happened in the actual main universe. And so he has been pulled in to that universe from whatever the Venom universe is. I, you know, I don't think he, I don't remember if Andrew Garfield ever had any Venom references. Um, but I know that obviously like Tobey Maguire's movie had Venom in it already. So it's obviously not from Tobey Maguire's universe. At least that's the way I'm thinking. Mm. And probably not from Andrew Garfield's either. So I'm thinking it's his, it's a separate universe that he's in that he got pulled in and then when they, you know, sent everybody back, he just got sent back too. So 
but I do think leaving behind some of the, you know, the goo, uh, what's the, what's the right word for that? Symbiote. Yeah. Symbiote. Leaving some of that behind does open some interesting story possibilities that maybe the MCU will run with like, okay, we're going to have our own version of Venom in the MCU. And this is explaining why. So it is kind of connected to the Sony movies, but not, you know, maybe it will be a different actor. I, you know, this version of Venom, I think, is in the same universe as what's coming out with Morbius, that movie. Uh, And they're saying that's their own universe. They're answering the question of whether or not these universes are connected. Um, But, of course, they are connected because they're part of the multiverse of Marvel. Uh, And so, you know, it's interesting to me. It would be fascinating to see them to do a version of Venom with this version of Spider-Man possibly um, and hopefully do it better than what they did in Spider-Man 3. That would be great. Um, <laughs> heck, I'd even like to see Venom better done than in the Venom movies because I, I did not like the original Venom movie and I didn't even see the second one because it looked terrible. So I haven't seen either um, of them. Um, yeah. I tend to not like uh, superhero movies that are like rated R. The, when they go that kind of that that route with it and become kind of ultra violent, um, mm-hmm. like Deadpool, for example, I I like the idea of Deadpool and I think it's they're fun movies, but I wish they would leave out some of the more rated R stuff. I t- I tend to like my my superhero movies to be PG thirteen, so I've kind of I haven't gotten into watching the Venom movies, but I will I'll watch them eventually. Uh, so I didn't have a lot of background on the character as played by Tom Hardy. But I like the scene that he was in. Mm-hmm. He did a good job in that scene. It was it was yeah. it was uh, entertaining. Um, you you mentioned Morbius. I believe the did you see the Morbius trailer that played before the movie? Yeah, mm-hmm. I did. So they had um, the one character from Tom Holland's Spider Man movies in yeah Vulture, Vulture yeah in that trailer. So it's mm-hmm. kind of implying that Morbius is is part of Tom Holland's Spider Man universe, MCU. right? Well, so. yeah, but they also said it like that thing that happened in San Francisco, and that's a reference to Venom because Venom's in San Francisco. So I feel like they're implying that the Vulture character exists in that universe, but it's different a different character. because they're playing with the multiverse. Well, it's J. Different. Jonah Jameson is the same actor in two different universes. So, yeah, so it, it does make sense. He's, he's still a jerk. <laughs> Yeah, he's more bald. I I forgot how he had the he had that flat top <laughs> yeah. in the in the original Tobey Maguire yes. movie. I forgot about that. Well, we have uh, spent almost an hour and a half, which is not shocking when it comes to talking about a movie of this magnitude. And uh, thank you both for for being here for it. But you know, before we leave, I I really want to know then, as we've had, I think mostly praise for this film. What would you guys rate? Spider-Man: No Way Home. So, what's the scale here? Uh, let's uh, let's do it out of five. I would give it a four point five. This is a, I was highly entertained. I was engaged. I enjoyed how they had the most well done fan service I've seen in a really long time. I mean, I I don't think they had any major misses. Just that lizard looked kind of <laughs> weird. That's about it. Fan service done right. Yes. 
It was, <laughs> yeah, I'm in the same place. Like I, I have a hard time not giving it five out of five. I absolutely like love the experience of watching this movie. It surprised me in a lot of ways, even though I, you know, kind of heard the rumors that these, these actors were going to be back. The fact that they used them so well and so much in the movies uh, and the, both of them just did such a stellar job in, in, in their parts. Uh, I would say Tobey Maguire was his, this is the best version of Spider-Man he's played. Like I'd like, I want to see movies of this version of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man because uh, he did such a good job. So yeah, it's, it, it knocked it out of the park for me. Best Spider-Man movie I've seen since um, into the Spider-Verse. It's, I had a hard, I kind of like was bouncing back and forth, which one's my favorite of those two. I think this one might kind of, might just barely inch it out that this is a little bit better to me than the into the spider verse, just for some of the nostalgia. Um, and that the scene between the two old Spider-Man cracking, cracking his back was, was hilarious. That <laughs> guy so, can relate with the, the sore back. <laughs> yeah. that was really funny because I was thinking to myself, like, Old guys like Aaron and I are going to be like, oh, man, can he do that to me? Like, that would be great. You know, a hundred percent. That's that's exactly how I would feel. Um, I really enjoyed this movie and it's it's been the best version of Tom Holland Spider-Man that we've gotten in the MCU, hands down. I mean, I don't even think that's a question. Um, and it turned out to be one of the better movies of the MCU as well. Uh, I would say that for me, it probably is a little bit uneven, though. I feel like the first part of the movie is kind of like classic, jokey, ultra jokey Marvel. And a lot of what I don't love about Tom Holland, Spider-Man and the other movies. But the second half of the movie serious, seriouses itself up and I think really becomes a much better film. Uh, when they do that and I finally feel like they've given this character the weight he's due as a character and so I'm excited to see what happens to him in the MCU so I'm going to give this four out of five stars which I, I mean I've seen the movie twice but I'm also excited to see it again it's an MC I don't own every MCU movie you know physically at home but I'll own this movie because it's really good and I'm going to enjoy watching it. And part of that has to do with the way that both of you said it pays nostalgia correctly. It plays that card correctly. And I love it. I really did. I really love this. So as we close out, Amanda, let everybody know where can they find you if they'd like to catch up with you and talk more Spider-Man or see what else you've got going on. Oh, absolutely. I am on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok under at Twin Sons Amanda. So super easy to find one handle for all three. And Aaron, where could everybody find you? Um, I'm also on the social medias, although I don't use them as often as I used to, but I'm on Twitter every once in a while. That's probably the one I still use the most. Uh, that's more about geeky stuff. So at AV Goins, A-V-G-O-I-N-S. And uh, also plug my podcast bad wolf radio which is a doctor who podcast that i do with my good friend adam farmer and we just wrapped up the uh season 13 flux series uh those six episodes so we have episodes out around all of those and we'll be covering the new year's uh special when it comes out at the beginning of the year 
which I got to admit, uh, I've seen episode one of the Flux series. I need to finish the rest. So I'm thankful we're moving in a new direction with uh, Doctor Who. Um, but um, the first episode of Flux was actually pretty decent. So um, I'm interested to see where it goes. Uh, and you should check out Aaron's podcast on Doctor Who because it's fantastic. So uh been a long time listener first time caller uh but um yeah check it out uh, you can find me all over the place on social media matt rushing 02 i on instagram twitter letterbox vero all of those places of course i'm here on the network doing a few shows uh you could find me inside the 602 club feed doing snyder cuts as well as assembling avengers and then i'm also doing the orb literary treks and warp 5 the orbs about star trek deep space 9 Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. And then uh, over on the Nerd Party Network, John Mills and I are talking about Star Wars each and every week, which is a total blast. In fact, we have a really special episode that's coming out the same week this episode is. Uh, we will have dropped an archive episode with our good friend Nick Anastasio, who worked on The Clone Wars talking about the final season so that's really fun uh and you can also find me over there doing uh, a finished show called owl post i did that with drag kaufman and we talked about every single chapter of the harry potter series one chapter at a time but thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear